From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello everyone and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up. Would he close it down falls, the oil industry? It falls, Would you close down the oil industry? By the way, I have a transition from the oil industry, yes. That was an exchange between Donald Trump and Joe Biden in the last presidential debate where Joe Biden said he would ditch fossil fuels for green energy. But as millions of Americans are gripped in the midst of a historic freeze with no power because of the failure of green energy, will Americans demand a more sensible approach? John Fund, columnist at the National Review, joins me for that conversation. And after a key member of his staff admitted to withholding information about coronavirus deaths and nursing homes, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is on the defensive as Democratic and Republican lawmakers alike are calling for state and federal investigations. There is nothing uh, to investigate. Uh, That was uh, Governor Cuomo on the defensive yesterday. Valerie Richardson, a reporter with The Washington Times who has been covering this story, joins us with the latest. Also, Mississippi is joining the pack of states that are protecting women's sports against President Joe Biden's executive orders. Mississippi State Senator Angela Hill is here with the details. And I thought the left was all about science. That's what they say, and certainly that's what they want you to believe. But in reality, they are afraid of the facts. A study at the University of California at Los Angeles designed to study the brain structure and responses of people with gender dysphoria was shut down by the LGBTQ community. Why? Well, this is actually nothing new. Dr. Quentin Van Meter, who has 40 years of experience in dealing with transgender issues, is here with the answer to that question. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Also, if you'd like to stay in touch with us, text the word STAND to 67742. Text the word STAND to 67742. Can't rely on big tech and social media, so stay in touch. Text the word STAND to 67742. The extreme cold weather sweeping through many parts of America right now has made quite the impact. Millions have lost power due to the latest winter storm, and many of you may have noticed Washington Watch was not untouched by the freeze as we were left without power yesterday. Millions remain without power in Texas, and experts say it's the state's growing reliance on green energy that was the culprit as the cold winds and snow froze their turbines. But... Is that where President Biden wants to take us? Now, remember this revealing exchange in the last presidential debate. Okay, I have one final question. Would he close down the oil industry? It falls. Would you close down the oil industry? By the way, I have a transition from the oil industry, yes. Oh, that's a big statement. It is a big statement. Because I would stop. Why would you do that? Because the oil industry pollutes significantly. I see. Here's the deal. That's a big statement. Well, if you let me finish the statement because it has to be replaced by renewable energy over time, over time. And I'd stop giving to the oil industry, I'd stop giving them federal subsidies. He won't give federal subsidies to the, to the gas, excuse me, to, the, to uh, solar and wind. Why are we giving it to oil industry? We actually do give right. it to solar and wind. We and that's maybe the biggest question. statement in terms of business. That's the biggest statement. Okay. Because basically what he's saying question, is he is Mr. going President? to destroy the oil industry. Will you remember that, Texas? Will you remember that, Pennsylvania, Oklahoma? Vice President Biden, let me give you 10 seconds to respond, and then I have to get to the final question. Joining me now to talk about the unreliability of these resources and where the Biden administration wants to take us 
is John Fun, National Review columnist and newsletter editor at the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. John, welcome back to the program. Pleasure, Tony. Thank you. So, John, you wrote about this, and folks, you can read John's uh, piece at TonyPerkins.com. Um, is this Joe Biden's America? Well, I have to say, one of the funniest or sad pictures I've seen recently was yesterday there was a picture of a huge wind turbine frozen in place by the cold, and a helicopter running on fossil fuel was spraying a chemical made from fossil fuel onto a wind turbine that was made from fossil fuel during an ice storm. What does that tell you about the future of green energy in the immediate coming years? I don't think much. Well, certainly it can be a secondary source. I mean, I don't think anybody's opposed to clean energy. But that's not Um, what the Biden administration wants to do. They must want to make us dependent on it, and they want to drive fossil fuel use out of existence. And look in Texas. Texas sunk a lot of money into wind, and it's not just a partial um, small part of what they use for energy. Over a quarter of their energy comes from wind. Well, this wind storm, this ice storm, I should say, took over a quarter of the energy off the grid. Now, natural gas was also affected. But the critical part that drove people into the cold, and my friends in Texas are literally shivering, you know, breaking out, you know, wood for the, for the uh, stove and wood for the, um, uh, the uh, fireplace. That was the loss of the wind power. And that was could have been expected because when anything over under 22 degrees, you're going to get the wind turbines not moving. Now, in Texas, I mean, they have embraced wind. I mean, they've got a lot of wind there. They've got a lot of open spaces. I mean, in, in 2019, wind power surpassed coal for the first time in the state's history. As you said, almost a quarter of the state's electrical needs being met by wind. And that's great. Uh, but the demand was up because of the cold. And as you said, the turbines... They froze, but in addition to not producing power during cold weather like this, they actually consume energy because they have to heat the the motors in there to keep the oil from freezing, so they become a consumer of energy. Once again, the wind power is dependent on the use of fossil fuel, as I just outlined. So, of course, it's a secondary source, just as solar can be a good secondary source. But to make it your primary source, which is Joe Biden's goal, is, well, driving us back into the Middle Ages if you uh, if anything goes wrong. And remember, you can't store wind power. You know, one thing that's connected with prosperity and growth of an economy is access to reliable energy sources. And under the Trump policies in the last four years, America actually became an exporter of oil, of fossil fuels, for the first time in decades as we began drilling. Fracking led to more of that. But let's talk about, you know, just so we're not using generalities here, when we talk about where Joe Biden and his policies want to take America, specifically speak to what he's already done in his first month in office addressing this issue. Well, if presidents are remembered for what they did on their first day in office because that was their biggest priority, uh, the first day Joe Biden took office, he canceled the Keystone Pipeline, angered our Canadian allies to no end, threw 11,000 union members out of their jobs, and this was a pipeline 
the product that it was going to carry is still going to flow south from Canada to the United States. It's just going to go on trains and trucks, which have a much higher accident rate than do pipelines. So what we're experiencing right now with, like, Texas, obviously uh, an extreme example of this where people are without power. And, I mean, this is a really, really, really cold uh, storm that has come through, and people are experiencing temperatures in the 40s and 30s in their homes. Because in the South, you know, and I, I live most of the time in Louisiana, we are not accustomed to this. Our houses are not built for this, and so people are cold. Will this force the Biden administration to rethink their energy policy? Well, I I watched my Twitter feed reacting to my article. I see the comments that are posted on it at National Review, and I have to say I despair. Uh, this has become a religion. Uh, you know, as we leave traditional religions behind us, uh, we embrace unorthodox new beliefs. They become our new religions. And environmentalism, just like political correctness, has become a new religion. You cannot challenge the tenets of these new religions. Yeah. What happened to uh, to science, uh, fact-based decision-making? When you look at what is happening right now, what is unfolding with the I don't want to say implosion, but certainly the failure of our power grids across uh, a large portion of America. This should push pause uh, for the Biden administration to rethink their energy approach. The only thing I can think is that there are Democrats in suburban House districts who barely won last November uh, because Republicans did much better in the House races than people expect, and they are going to recognize Gee, you know, if public schools are still closed because of the teacher unions and we are losing the power grid and sometimes having to shiver or, or swelter uh, because of bad energy policies, you know, maybe this Biden administration isn't working out the way we thought or hoped it would. Well, and, and there seems to be, as you said, a uh, an embracing of this as if it were a new religion. John Kerry, the... Uh, climate czar, you know, asked about all of these unemployed pipeline workers, you know, callously saying, well, they can just go into the solar industry and they can be working in the green energy industry. I mean, how nonsensical is that? Well, it's almost Marie Antoinette-ish. You know, Richard Trumka, the head of the AFL-CIO, told Axios the other day, he said, I just don't understand this. You know, I come from Pennsylvania coal country, and if you're going to tell miners that I grew up with, oh, we're going to put you out of work, but don't worry, we're going to be retraining you for solar jobs, I'm sorry, you know, there is limited capacity or interest or uh, common sense dictating that you build the solar panels in, you know, darkness of Pennsylvania. You're going to have those jobs in Arizona and Nevada and California and Texas, and he said, these people, they grew up in rural Pennsylvania. They like rural Pennsylvania. They don't want to be forced to move across the country. Uh, it's an assault on their culture. And frankly, um, you know, it's let them, eat, let them eat solar is the message. Well, speaking of that, I want to go back to um, that uh, quote 
uh, in, or that uh, clip I played from the last presidential debate where Joe Biden said, you know, we're going to stop the subsidies to the oil industry because we've never given those to the uh, green energy sector. Um, I, I was wondering, did he remember Solyndra? The energy industry has certainly in the past subsidized or given tax preferences to oil companies. But as a percentage of their overall business, those are dwarfed and have been dwarfed for decades by the lavish subsidies and tax concessions to wind and solar. That is an established fact. Well, and there was the scandal, really, with Solyndra during the Obama administration. Oh, well, if you want to talk about the political uh, preferences here, uh, almost any shady green energy developer around got subsidized during the Obama years, and Solyndra was just the biggest casualty. I suspect there will be far more of those showing up on the radar screen under the Biden administration. Well, I would argue that for the uh, what benefits were extended to the fossil fuel industry, all of America benefited as opposed to what was given to the green energy sector. Uh, John Fon, thanks so much for uh, for joining us, and uh, and stay warm. Pleasure. Thank you. All right. In fact, uh, th- throw another log on the fire. Hey, coming up, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is uh, is on the defense, defending his controversial nursing home directive and sitting on information. Both Republicans and Democrats now calling for federal and state investigations into his administration. We'll talk with Washington Times reporter Valerie Richardson on the other side of this break. Don't go away. More Washington Watch to come. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible, and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. In our time, North Korea remains one of the world's most mysterious countries. Unfortunately, what we do know about North Korea indicates the country is also one of the world's worst abusers of human rights, including violations of religious freedom. The North Korean regime has engaged in an intense crackdown on religion for decades. Today, few religious believers remain, and those who do face grave danger. The secretive nature of the regime, nicknamed the Hermit Kingdom, makes it difficult for American leaders to address these human rights issues. Yet, even though options are limited, the gravity of the situation calls on Western countries to take every action possible to relieve the suffering of the North Korean people, a people who have no chance of speaking up for themselves. To learn more about this important issue, check out FRC's publication titled North Korea, the world's foremost violator of religious freedom. 
To access the information you need to stay informed, including a list of policy proposals, go to frc.org slash North Korea. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, at the beginning of the coronavirus chaos in America, New York was one of the hotbeds of cases and deaths related to the virus. Now, a large part of the deaths came in nursing homes, and it was uh, now, we see, caused by orders from New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. A re- but a report last month by the New York Attorney General said Cuomo's administration underreported the deaths by as much as 50%. Then, last week, a member of his own staff admitted behind closed doors that they had sat on vital information out of fear it would be used against them. Yesterday, after both Republican and Democratic lawmakers in New York were calling for investigations into the Cuomo administration, Governor Cuomo had a press conference and was on the defensive. So there's no, there is nothing uh, to investigate. All the numbers we produced were exactly right. Uh, We didn't provide all the information that was requested that did create a void, and misinformation did fill the void. And that misinformation gave people aggravation and confused people, and confused people who lost a loved one, uh, and allowed conspiracy theories to fester. And that aggravated people who lost a loved one, because now you don't know what to believe. And that, that is uh, the last thing anyone wanted to create. Joining me now to delve into this further is Washington Times reporter Valerie Richardson. Valerie, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me on. So, uh, Valerie, let me ask you this question. Is there anything here to investigate? <laughs> well... It would seem there is. Uh, there is. There's quite a bit of um, momentum right now into, at the very least, a state investigation. And then you have Republicans as well as some Democrats saying that the Biden administration needs to get involved with the DOJ investigation. Now, that's going to be interesting because then you've got a situation where, um, you know, one of the rising stars of the party, or he was until maybe some of this sort of festering, you know, being called up for an investigation by the DOJ, it's, you know, it's really not anywhere that I think a lot of Democrats want to go, but there is um, increasingly pressure on on um, 
on both on the Democratic Party to to do something about the the Cuomo scandal. He's got there are state legislators who are Democrats who are you know tweeting about how uh, how he needs to uh, tell what happened and 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 disclose more and be more transparent. And they're and, and they're contradicting what he said at his press conference, saying that well the main point he made at his press conference was he said that um he said that he had delayed releasing information uh, to the state legislature in response to their request for information about nursing home COVID deaths um, so that he could this department inquiry instead, which came in August. And he said that that his delay while he was uh, taking care of the Justice Department request is what basically caused the, um, what he called a void in, in information that was filled with, you know, quote, conspiracy theories. And he says that's really what the problem was. He, he, what he took responsibility for was not being as prompt as he had, um, as he might have been in, deal, in responding to the state legislature. But he also said that he told the leadership what was going on, and the leadership has come back and said, "No, we didn't hear that." And these are Democrats, so they, they said that, that they were unaware of the Justice Department um, uh, request for information. So, so right there, you've got people accusing him. I mean, I don't literally accusing him of lying. Uh, Ron Kim, who's a Democratic state representative, specifically said lying yesterday. So, um, so yeah, he's uh, even people in his own party are turning on him now. So, Valerie, what part of the March 25th order that he issued regarding? nursing homes saying that they are prohibited from requiring a hospitalized resident who is determined medically stable to be tested for the COVID-19 prior to admission or readmission. I mean, that seems to be really at the heart of, from from what I've read through this, kind of the, the cover up here of sitting on these numbers, because that was now, I mean, clearly a very, very bad decision. And, and yes, and, and, and what he, um, in his defense, or in, what he and, and, and officials in his administration have, have said is that, you know, look, nobody knew at that point what was going on. We, they, you know, at that point, they were still saying people shouldn't wear masks. I mean, it was, it was, there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of confusion. There was a lot of, uh, you know, lack of information, lack of data. And so he, you know, he, which is what he pretty much attributes that order to, um, but what his critics will tell you is that a lot of states at first did the same thing, and then when they saw that this was going to be a disaster, they revoked that order. And his stuck around for six weeks. And um, and in fact, some of the, uh, there were, there were, are articles where administration officials will say, you know, we're not going to discriminate against COVID patients. In other words, we're implying that if you don't let a person who had tested positive for COVID but had been treated at a hospital and now could leave if you don't let that person back into a nursing home that you're somehow discriminating against them. Um, so it, uh, so that's uh, that's the problem he's got. His orders stuck around for for a very long time, and um, and then he didn't release the information very quickly about how many people actually died. And then of course it it, it falls to Letitia James, the state attorney general, who was herself a Democrat, to come out with this damning report last month. Right. Um, so yeah, you could. You, I think what he would, what he's arguing is that well, it's my handling of it. It's not what I did. It's my handling. But you know, the Democrats are really having none of it at this point. But it, it, it appears to me that he set on the numbers or covered it up because he realized that was a mistake in what he did. Instead of coming clean with it back then, he's tried to sweep it under the rug. 
Yeah, and he's and he's you know he said, well, it was because we were dealing with this Justice Department request, et cetera. But you know, it, it, people are have sort of had it. I don't think that that. Right. I don't. It didn't seem like a lot of people were were terribly convinced by that argument. And so what you have now is basically what's going to happen next. I mean, sort of the minimum the state legislature could do at this point would be to um, would be to to revoke his emergency powers, which they right. appear to be poised to do. Well, that that would be a good first step, uh, not just in New York, but maybe in some other states as well. Valerie, we're out of time. I want to thank you so much for uh, for joining us today. And uh, we'll continue to track this and uh, talk to you again soon. Thanks very much. Valerie Richardson with Washington Times. By the way, this this uh, I guess this is why Andrew Cuomo received the International Emmy for his masterful COVID-19 briefings. He had us all fooled. He was play acting. All right, coming up next, Mississippi State Senate votes to protect girls' sports. We'll talk with State Senator Angela Hill next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. The history of religious persecution in China is extensive. And many are not aware of the current oppression of religious groups taking place there. China restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale. This religious persecution targets those of every faith. Christians, Muslims, Tibetan Buddhists, and Falun Gong practitioners are all victims of the Chinese Communist Party's efforts to suppress any set beliefs that might compete with the party's ideology. This campaign against religion has had and continues to have devastating consequences for those who simply wish to live according to their conscience. Family Research Council's recently updated publication addresses China's consistent abuses of human rights and explains why they cannot be treated like any other country. Learn more about this issue by visiting frc.org China. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed, so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, I'd definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download, or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? This is Washington Watch, and I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, a bill banning transgender athletes from competing in Mississippi State high schools and universities passed the state Senate uh, last week, 34 to 9. Pretty strong vote. The bill is now headed to the Mississippi House of Representatives, and uh, we'll see what the Magnolia State 
does as it uh, seeks to protect women's sports. Joining me now to talk more about this is the bill's sponsor, Mississippi State Senator Angela Hill. Senator, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Tony. Let, let me just start with this. Um, you, you know, Mississippi's not alone. Other states are taking this action, um, a lot of it being driven by the executive orders uh, handed down by the Biden administration that were forcing uh, schools to adopt uh, transgender policies, including in their sports. But why, as a state policymaker, is this bill important? Well, it was important to me before the Biden administration. I actually tried to get this bill passed last year. Um, I have been keenly aware of what's been going on in Connecticut and many other states uh, with regard to biological males coming in and dominating female-only sports. And I've had a number of coaches uh, contact me in Mississippi and tell me that this is about to be a, an issue here. And we really, truly need to look you know, forward and have a policy in place and not wait until, you know, many girls are deprived of, of their opportunities. Um, so I'm, I'm not a reactive person. I can right. see things coming, and I try to make sure that we have a, a policy in place before these schools have to, um, you know, litigate on their own. Now, Senator, what was the purpose when we began to create women's sports decades ago? Well, you know, Title IX enjoys 50 years of, um, women's sports uh, and women's business, protecting women in all kinds of arenas. And, you know, that was the very reason for um, setting aside a certain sport for females only is so that they could p- compete on a level playing field. And, of course, women now in sports, women's sports have become a big deal uh, in high school and college, and many young women make their, their uh, kind of get their ticket to college through sports. That could be lost in a, in, if Ab- we allow this absolutely. transgenderism. Absolutely. I mean, you can, you can see in many areas where many biological males are dominating in female sports already, and it's just growing. And it has to be addressed because, you know, females deserve to be able to compete fairly. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you have average males that can easily dominate the most elite female athletes, you know, biological males, they're, they're much stronger. Um, they're physiologically um, better performers than, you know, female athletes. So you can't have a fair playing field with biological males competing well, against females. Well, now, let's not, let's not let science get in the way. I mean, there, there's no, biological. No, no, of course not. Of course not. Let, let's just let, you know, supposition, um, you know, and whatever, whatever feelings that, that somebody has rule today and, and forget about biology. Well, it doesn't appear that that argument carried the day in the Senate. Thirty-four to nine is a pretty strong vote uh, in the state Senate. There, what what were the arguments from those who opposed your bill? I really, had no arguments. I had no questions on the floor. Um, very, very few, uh, if any, questions on the floor. So now the bill goes to the House. I would assume the prospects are pretty good. I think the prospects are pretty good in the House. Um, I feel like that uh, with with the, the majority of Mississippians supporting this bill, um, I think that, you know, we have a really good chance in the House. I think some people have already contacted the Speaker, um, and, I, and it looks, looks like we're going to maybe get it through the House. I've had a good uh, conversation with the governor's office. I think the governor will sign the bill, so we just need to get it through the Mississippi House of Representatives. 
Yeah, I, I think the governor will sign it. In fact, I've seen the governor has have made has made statements regarding the Biden executive orders in opposition to those orders. So I feel pretty confident you get this bill uh, through the House and uh, Governor Tate will sign it. I think so. Um, I think he'll sign it. I, when it when it passed the Senate, I got a text from his office um, indicating that the governor was very pleased that the bill was able to pass through the Senate. So. Um, that's my my green light that that the governor um, is supportive and that he will sign this bill. All right, Senator Angela Hill, thanks so much for joining us and taking uh, and also for taking the lead on this important issue. Well, thank you so much for having me, Tony. You know, we just have to, you know, try to bring some common sense, uh, you know, into the picture and um, just keep doing what we've been doing for fifty years to protect female sports. Could not agree more. Common sense uh, usually wins the day. Senator Angela Hill of uh, Mississippi, another another lawmaker standing up to do what is right. And Mississippi, I said, is not alone. Montana, North Dakota, Idaho uh, and other states are taking the same step to protect women's sports. The and as she mentioned, there were no arguments on the other side because they can't. It's all about emotions, about how you feel. And we're going to talk more about that in our next segment as we uh, we look at, you know, the left. Always talking about they're for science, and that's conservatives that are against science. Really? I, I, I didn't know that. It's the left. They deny the science. They're the deniers. In fact, we're going to talk about those in California. There's a, a, a study that was going to look at the brain of transgender individuals and their response. And this was not from a conservative university, but the LGBTQ community shut it down. And they're demanding that they be a part of any study that's done. Amazing. Actually, not amazing. It's typical. It's what we're seeing more and more of. We're going to talk with Dr. Quentin Van Meter, a board-certified pediatric doctor in Atlanta who's got who has 40 years experience in dealing with transgender issues that's next don't go away get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday on over 800 radio stations across the country or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Representative Vicki Hartzler, Molly Hemingway, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Dana Lash, Sissy Graham Lynch, Pastor John MacArthur, Eric Metaxas, Albert Moeller, and more. Tony is joined by leading political figures, pastors, and policy and culture experts who will inspire you to be engaged and informed on the important issues facing America. For a Christian perspective on the news of the day, tune in to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Ever since the Supreme Court handed down its infamous Roe v. Wade decision in 1973 that legalized abortion nationwide, a national debate has raged over whether the government should fund abortion. In 1976, Congress banned taxpayer funding of abortion and Medicaid by passing the Hyde Amendment. Several states have followed suit, passing their own restrictions on abortion funding. However, because government funding is a complex system of joint federal and state programs, 
Completely banning taxpayer funding for abortions and abortion businesses like Planned Parenthood is challenging. There is still much work to be done to free the American taxpayer from funding the horrific practice of abortion. Family Research Council's new publication clearly explains the Hyde Amendment and why we need to keep it in order to save taxpayers from being forced to fund abortion. Access this important information by visiting frc.org slash Hyde. What's on your daily or weekly reading list? Are you looking for honest and informative commentary from fellow believers on the current issues facing our culture? Family Research Council has just the thing. Check out FRC's blog at frcblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts as well as outside contributors. On our blog, you can read about a wide variety of topics, including religious liberty, life, marriage, family, sexuality, public policy, and the culture. Read up on some of our latest titles like Four Disturbing Trends in Religious Freedom Worldwide, Legitimizing Looting Jeopardizes Liberty for All, The Media Still Doesn't Get It, Conservatives Tend to Vote Conservatives, and more. At Family Research Council, our mission is to advance faith, family, and freedom in the culture by helping you live out your faith and to stand for truth. Our blog is here to help you do that. Stay informed and get the resources you need at frcblog.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you'd like to stay connected with us, there's a couple of ways you can do that. You can download the Stand Firm app. That way you can listen to Washington Watch no matter where you are. If you're beyond the reach of one of the 800 or so stations that carry us, you can still listen on the app. That's the Stand Firm app. It's still available in the uh, the stores, the app stores. That's Stand Firm. Also, uh, you can stay connected with us by texting the word STAND to 67742, 67742. But also, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. Resources there for you. In fact, we're getting ready to overhaul that, provide even more resources there for you on our own real estate, not relying on social media, as uh, big tech is silencing more and more the conservative voices of America. All right, the University of California, Los Angeles, the Institute for Neuroscience and Human Behavior, was preparing a National Institute of Health-backed study to better understand brain structures and responses among people living with gender dysphoria. The study was titled Gender Identity and Own Body Perception, Implications for the Neurobiology of Gender Dysphoria. Now, the researchers were seeking transgender participants when LGBTQ activists demanded and received, uh, they demanded that the study be shut down, and that's exactly what happened. Now, they've got a list of demands that they want for any type of research that's done. But what happened to the left being all about science? Well, joining me now to talk about this, Dr. Quentin Van Meter. He's a board-certified pediatric endocrinologist in private practice in Atlanta, Georgia. Georgia. He is also on the pediatric clinical faculty of both Emory University and Morehouse College Medical Schools. He has 40 years' experience in dealing with transgender issues. Uh, Dr. Van Meter, welcome back to the program. Thank you for having me, Tony. I really appreciate it. So you, you've had a little bit of experience with this. Are, are, are you surprised that this study was shut down? 
Well, what the study was aimed at was looking at MRI evaluation of the brain and looking at structural differences that are seen and looking at perhaps a signal that might be seen that was typical of someone who uh, had gender dysphoria and believed they were born into the wrong, uh, their brain is in the wrong body. Uh, and so they, they thought they would kind of quantify this. There was a, a study, oh, probably about 10 years ago that, that purported to show this, but it was a very small study and, and limited in number of patients. Uh, so they wanted to, you know, basically look at a broader view of this. And they had, knowing that the transgender population is burgeoning, they thought we would, you know, recruit from the population of those of those patients and see whether or not this could be replicated and see what happened over time. The fearful thing to the transgender activist community is that they're going to find stuff that essentially says this is a progress situation. This is a response to environment process uh, that when you look at these things longitudinally as they plan to do, you will find that there is no really biology per se, no innate uh, sense of uh, someone being born transgender and biologically gender doesn't have a a marker, if you will, uh, in, a, in the human body. It's not a biologic event. It's a, it's a sociologic, psychological event, and they fear that greatly because they what they want is to have everything be a uh, sense that, that gender is actually more important in biology than is true biologic sex. Uh, and that 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 is something they they will not tolerate. So they want to have the opportunity to screen any university-based or NIH-based study and make sure that it doesn't uncover things that they do not want to be uncovered. It doesn't prove things that they do not want to be proved. And that is that's an amazing power that a an activist social activist group can have over science. I mean, it's like we we will not allow this. We will you know we will not make sure that you cannot do this study for fear that it will prove something we do not want proven. So, what other groups that are interested in particular outcomes have that kind of sway over scientific research? None that I'm aware of. I've never. I mean, I was astounded to read this uh, article that, that that indicated this was happening. This is the first time I'm aware of it being that blatant. There, there are other less, you know, sort of more subtle things like not being able to get published when you show when you right. you basically have an, an opinion that does not match the activist community, uh, not being able to give uh, CME lectures or giving having them canceled as was which happened to me uh, in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. I was prepared to give a grand rounds on transgender. And the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center caught wind since the, that hospital is a is a, a set affiliate of that healthcare system, uh, and someone brought that up, and I was canceled. I mean, you know, you will not give this presentation. I did do a podcast for them, uh, that which was not a grand rounds, but which was available to faculty, and that was torn down and and uh, removed from from availability because of of the inappropriateness nature they thought of of my opinions, which are based on science. This this is very dangerous if we continue down this path where just because we don't like the outcomes, we cancel the, the, the science related to these topics. Yeah, it, it's a very dangerous thing. I think that we're seeing a lot of things related to COVID, on, you know, the scale which more people are affected in, in regard to canceling science or saying that science doesn't count, this science we think does. 
uh, and therefore, you know, we'll have we'll have that happen. But um, this, this is the first thing that I have actually had experience with in the field of endocrinology and in the transgender activist world, where they are basically calling the shots on what will or won't be done for clinical studies. And my prediction, Dr. Van Meter, is that they will succeed. That, in fact, yes. that there will not be any study done unless they give it their seal of approval, which tells me there will be no outcome uh, of any of these studies to which they do not agree with. Well, I think the place where this will happen is in the university centers, which are very dependent on uh, image. Uh, they don't want to be labeled as uh, transphobic in any way. And so any place that they can step in, if somebody wants to do a study and fund a study uh, that has no government uh, funding to it, that does not involve a university center but is done as an independent clinical study, it can be done. I mean, no one can stop the, the bright-minded uh, scientific uh, physicians from doing a study and but the problem is where will the results be published or if right. they will be able to be published. So there is always going to be a, a, a narrow gateway where there are gatekeepers to say, uh, we don't like this, we don't like these results. But you know, I think the more that the public demands uh, openness and transparency and we get a chance to, to open the eyes of the American people about what the trans activist agenda it really is about, uh, they're going to uh, – we're going to have potentially some avenues of, of getting through that narrow pathway. Um, social media clearly is not a way to go. Uh, that's, that's governed and overseen by the activist community. And so we have – if we publish something or post something, it's not on there very long before it's taken down. So uh, we are not going to give up, though. There is just too much uh, harm being done with the, the affirmation uh, pathway to, to children in particular – uh, that 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 bothers us. I mean, it's it's so so tragic to take someone who is suffering so greatly and to do the absolutely wrong thing. That we we you know we we've read the story, we've read the book, we know the ending. Uh, these people are in chapter one and chapter two, thinking they're going the right way, and they're so far off the mark, and they'll be so badly harmed by that. You're listening to Washington Watch. I'm your host Tony Perkins. The website TonyPerkins.com. My guest, Dr. Quentin Van Meter. Uh, discussing a story out of uh, California where a study looking at the, the brain function and structure of those in the transgender community being shut down by uh, LGBT activists. Uh, I think this is a progression, Dr. Van Meter, as you pointed out there. At, at a certain point, there's been in the last couple of decades reports that have come out, studies that have come out. I not specifically related to transgenderism that I've been familiar with, but, for instance, on other sexual behavior, uh, Mark Regneris from the University of Texas at Austin has done a number of studies on sexual behavior and the consequences and different things like that. And, and his studies have been shut down um, after he did them, the results not posted, you know, opposition to them. But now we're moving back to the, I guess you'd say the, the, the spigot where these studies come out. They want to they control what is coming out of these institutions in terms of the, the study. Now, you say that private-funded research could be done, but the venues for the release of that is, is limited. How do we get this information out to the American people, especially to parents, to warn them about some of the trends that are taking place? 
Um, I think there'll be persistence. Uh, we, you know, we hope and, and pray that people's minds will be open. That that little by little we can sort of crack this 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 solid wall of a resistance to publication of, of scientific truth. Um, it, it's a big, it's a daunting project, but I think more, more and more people are, are being, um, are made aware of, of, of how things are happening behind this, this wall, this facade that keeps knowledge from getting through. Um, it, it, it's programs like yours and people listening to this broadcast who might then pass word on to somebody else and then uh, allow us, uh, you know, to, to be able to speak, uh, to be able to have our opinions known. Um, it, and little by little, I think this is – it's based on such a, a tragic, uh, evil uh, worldview that uh, I think goodness is going, to, is going to win in the end. But I'm afraid we're going to have several hundred thousand kids who are going to be badly damaged in the process while we get to this. And, and the sad thing will be yeah, 20 years hence when we have lawsuits against the hospital systems, healthcare systems – and physicians who did all this affirmation, uh, which was never really scientifically based to begin with. And then things will be, you know, will open up and this will be a phase we went through historically looking backwards, but it will be a tragedy if, it, if that's the way it ends up coming to an end. So, Let me transition just uh, um, my Pardon the pun there. I, I actually <laughs> wanted, that was not intended, actually. I, okay. I'm a master of puns, but that was not intended. The, the, as a professional that has been in this field for a long time. Um, you, you talk about this information has to get out, but so many of your colleagues have been intimidated and are fearful of speaking out. I mean, you just talked about how one of your uh, presentations was canceled. I mean, that's becoming very prevalent. So rather than face that, people shrink back and just they're silent, even though they know it's not right, they know it's harmful, but they're also wanting to protect their own professional career what would you say to your colleagues and to others that are in a position where they they can put the facts out there they can help people come to know the truth what should they do and how do they do it well they should network with each other and i think the thing is there should be a relentless uh, networking between people who do not feel threatened and who are not afraid uh, for their for their professional lives to be ruined, to uh, to to look at every avenue. The the mental health care community is a wide open f access field of counselors who who are literally le totally legitimate, uh, highly skilled folks at the master's psych social worker level, at the PhD level, at the MD level in mental health who clearly do not believe that this is appropriate. Uh, they are practitioners who are not necessarily as vulnerable as an academic uh, position person would or somebody who publishes uh, for their, for their essentially for their ability to uh, sustain faculty uh, positions and, and remuneration for that. These are people who, if they were you know, called to question, then they say, well, you're, we're going to cancel your membership in our professional society. Well, well, that's just that's that's not career ruining. You know, that's just that's an inconvenience. But if they will get together, uh, sort of like like a resistance in in World War II, under the radar screen, and start building a network, and then come up from beneath and and flourish in the sunlight, I think that's that's how this is going to happen. So we have a lot of physical energy and emotional energy behind the truth. 
uh, and we are not going to give up. It's, it's opportunities like me getting to, to chat with you here this evening that any time that I can uh, make light uh, of these issues to the, bring things to the light of day, I am more than happy to do so, and so are some of my colleagues. So we are greatly indebted to you for this opportunity. Well, I appreciate you coming on because, as you say, what's at stake here are the lives of hundreds of thousands of young people who are being affirmed in a you know, in a misguided way out of fear, and, and it's wrong, and, and professionals need to, uh, to speak truth, and they need not cower in the face of uh, these activists. They're very vocal, but they're a minority. But we, we've got to speak that truth lest we see the lives of hundreds of thousands of young people ruined. Um, Dr. Van Meter, thanks so much for joining us today. Always great to talk with you. Looking forward to the next time. Thank you, Tony. All right, uh, Dr. Quentin Van Meter, you can find out more. Go to the website, uh, TonyPerkins.com. You know, it's, it's the old, uh, going back to this, um, what they're afraid of, nurture versus nature. And the evidence would suggest it's not nature. And as Dr. Van Meter was saying, it's, it's, it's the environment, the nurture aspect. It's what they're being conditioned and driven to. All of the media messages. We've talked about this before, what's happening in social media. You know, we were talking about... How, with Abigail Schreier, how the young girls going into these Planned Parenthood clinics giggling like they were going to the to the mall to get testosterone treatments. Um, it, it, it's it's the result of the environment. And now what's happening is the LGBTQ activists want to shut down those that are doing the counseling, that even shutting down parents' involvement in the lives of their kids. We have to speak truth. We cannot shrink back in the face of these activists. Too much is riding on this. All right, folks, out of time. Stay warm, and until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.